Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, we are what we think. And here is the, um, here's the passage from the Buddha. This is um, one of the collections of the Buddha's uh, uh, teachings is called the Dhammapada. And it's really a collection of some of his most, uh, his pithiest, um, brilliant teachings. There's a number of translations. Gil Fransdell has a translation. Um, uh, many translations. You can just look up Dhammapada. This is one translation that I particularly like. This is from a um, little pocket book uh, called Teachings of the Buddha. This is a gem. Uh, there's a bigger version, but this is the Shambhala pocket version. Uh, it was edited by Jack and Gil. Um, it's, like, it's the Buddha's greatest hits, basically, in Theravadan and then also in, uh, in Zen and in Tibetan, uh, all of them, just some of the collections of the greatest uh, teachings of the Buddha. And this is the opening, line, opening lines of the Dhammapada, this particular collection. Um, this book has many, many teachings from various collections, so it's not the Dhammapada, but this is the opening of the Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure or a confused mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure or clear mind. And happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. We are what we think. With our thoughts, we make the world. A, a, a very... Uh, common other translation maybe you've heard is mind is the mind is the forerunner of all things. It all starts with the mind. So that's what I wanted to talk tonight about how we create our world with our thoughts, like the song. Not only the world outside, but the world inside. Two. Let me look at some of my notes that I wanted to. Uh, 
we're continuously interacting with the world. Here we are, this mind-body process that is continually um, taking in messages and experiences and sense impingements from the world around us, making some sense of them, reacting and sending out our own messages and vibrations and thoughts and, and actions. And this mind-body process that we usually think of as me, uh, the Buddha uh, broke it down uh, in a way that kind of deconstructed that sense of some solid being to whom life is happening, but seeing that you are this process of life. And he broke it down into uh, five particular components. And I'm sure a number of you are familiar with this teaching on the five, <clears throat> the five aggregates they've commonly been translated into in um, uh, in English, five aggregates. Aggregate just means a, a, a group of, of, of stuff. So five components. In Pali, they're called the five khandas, or in, uh, in Sanskrit, they're called the five skandhas. He said, this is what makes up a human being. There is this physical form, rupa, this form, and then there are four components of this mind. Form, rupa, feeling in the sense of every sense impingement has a particular flavor of experience called Vedana. That's what feeling is sometimes translated as feeling. It's really the flavor of experience, feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, every single experience, moment, has one of those flavors. Um, and from that Vedana, we have a, a sense impingement. Then the third khanda or skanda is perception, sanya. The mind makes sense, or our brain makes sense of the world. Uh, this is a water bottle. Um, that was a guitar. This is a, a, a person speaking uh, to you. Um, and we're continually processing all the sense uh, impingements in a way that we can respond and make, uh, make sense of them uh, and know how to respond. Okay. So that third one is perception. The fourth of these um, skandhas or khandhas is mental formations or sankharas. That is, we have a sense impingement. It has a flavor of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, you know, and the mind creates a story out of it called thoughts. Not a bad thing. It's a good thing that we have these thoughts, just like the eyes see and the, mind, the ears hear. The mind thinks. It's just what it does. It's its function. 
to not only take in the world, but make sense of it and start thinking about things and creating ideas, creating wonderful ideas, creating stories that sometimes are beautiful and sometimes don't, don't serve us so well. But that's the fourth skanda or kanda, uh, um, uh, sankaras, mental formations. And then the fifth of these aggregates is called consciousness, vinyana. And that is that there is something that is knowing experience. You look at this screen and um, there is the knowing of those images in front of you. Um, just the bare registering of experience. You hear, you hear these words. And can you stop the knowing of the sound if your ears are working? No, it just happens by itself. Your eyes see, your ears hear, and awareness is just registering experience. So that's the fifth skanda, skanda called vinyana. So he says that's that's who we are. However, we get caught up in our trying to make sense of the world, particularly with that third skanda, kanda, kanda skanda, uh, called percep is a perception where it recognizes things based on past experience. And we see, um, oh, that's a, uh, that's a blue water bottle. It's a, it's a water bottle. Here's a white water bottle. This one is smaller. I got water bottles all over the place. This one is smaller. Oh, this is a big water bottle. And the mind immediately has a tendency to compare based on previous experience uh, or current experience. And it names things, it puts things into words and uh, concepts. And in that naming and filing it away, it's like you've got this big hard drive in here with a whole lot of memory. It compares against things that it has seen before. And so from our taking in experience, we are conditioned in a certain way by our previous experience. And um, this is actually a very important thing to realize that our minds are conditioned by previous experience. And we take in messages and have reactions to them whether or not we realize it uh, as an example or some examples in, in uh, right now happening, uh, people take in some messages um, about masks and there can be different reactions. Some, you walk in the street, you see somebody with an, a mask, ah, okay, at least here in Berkeley, oh, I feel safe, that's good. For some people, a mask is 
a threat. I was just re uh, reading a story today in, in the, the paper of um, somebody who uh, was in Florida and they went in to a store they were visiting uh, from out from out of town and they went into this um, restaurant it was and uh, the the owner said sorry we don't we are we're not serving any um, radical radical left people here and was told to leave because that's the conditioning that that mind has taken in and the same kind of conditioning that we really need to see around uh, around race that we don't even realize where you might see someone and you don't even realize there's a reaction that you've had whether it's positive or negative depending upon what has been conditioned it's all conditioned particularly the conditioning is colored by Vedna. If, if it's pleasant, we like it and we feel safe. If it's unpleasant, we don't like it. Or if it's foreign, we don't like it and, and we have a reaction of aversion to it. Um, but we can, we can change, that's the thing. We can change in, in our conditioning. When we realize we see through that conditioning, one particular area that we get very conditioned in is how we are in relation to everybody else in the world. This is the, the central knot of the conditioned mind that the Buddha spoke of as leading to all kinds of problems. What he called mana, M-A-N-A, or it's translated as the conceit of I am. And we get very conditioned into who we are, how we are in relation to everyone else. And this is what I want to talk about particularly tonight. Mm -hmm. The conceit of I am, mana, and that word conceit uh, is is not just about looking better, or as we usually think of the word conceit, how, um, oh, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Uh, but the conceit of I am is separating ourselves out from the rest of life around us and comparing ourselves in one way or another to everyone. This is the Buddha talking about this again this is a this is also in this in this book uh, this is one translation of the conceit of of i am of the buddhist teaching he says one who thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior for that very reason disputes but one who is unmoved under those three conditions for that person the notions superior or inferior or even equal to do not exist 
For one who is free from such views, there are no ties, no binding, no, no bondage. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions like these, they wander about in the world annoying people. And you know who gets most annoyed by our views of ourselves in relation to others. Um, you don't have to look very far. Who gets most annoyed and troubled? This is this conceit of I am in the sense of even if it's inferior, you've separated yourself out. Oh, I'm not as good as. Or even if it's I'm equal to, there is still this feeling of I'm. How am I doing? What do they think of me? How am I coming across? Do you ever have thoughts like that? I know I do. And this creating a sense of self, of self-image in the teachings is called Sakaya Ditti. I'll just give you a few uh, Pali terms. Sakaya Ditti, S-A-K-K-A-Y-A. D-I-T-T-H-I, Sakaya Ditti, or personality view, self-image. Now, of course, it's good to have a good self-image, but it's important to see it's all mind-created, and there's something even deeper than the image you have of yourself that's even more liberating. And the mind creates this so easily, uh, and I was thinking back um, uh, to my childhood. I've just gotten recently um, uh, reconnected with my oldest childhood friend. We were friends from um, third grade through college, uh, named Gary. Really, it's been great to uh, reconnect. Um, there's a lot of love there between us. We were in a very, um, um, we were grouped by, I didn't know it then, but we were grouped by intelligence in those days. They used to have the one class and the two class and the three class and et cetera like that. And, um, and you, you were tracked, right? And we were in a, it turned out to be a pretty, smart class. Actually, we all went to junior high and went through going from seventh grade to ninth grade. We skipped eighth grade. This is all about my friends. It was called special progress. And then I went to a high school in, uh, in New York called Stuyvesant. Pretty, pretty good school. But in the eighth, in the sixth grade, I was a very slow reader. I, my eyes aren't that great, and I, I've always been a slow reader. Uh, Gary, my best friend, was brilliant. And when he, we used to keep track of how many books we were, we were reading. And when Gary, I rem, I'll ne never forget these numbers, Gary was on his 86th book of the year, and I was on my 23rd. 
And I had this feeling, I just was a loser. I just was, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I can understand things, but I'm, I'm nowhere near my best friend. Fortunately, there was so much love there that it overrode the fact that, that he was off the charts brilliant. Um, and I had this self-image of being, you know, kind of a schlumpy student. And I was really okay. I just was in that particular norm where I was on the lower end of a very high curve, but I didn't know it. Anyway, that created my whole personality. And I constructed and concocted out of this idea who I am. Just think as I'm talking about what kind of self-images have you had in particular in relation to those around you? you know, oh, he's wittier. Oh, uh, she's so creative. Oh, wow, what, uh, what looks they have. And right away in that comparing mind, we suffer because what we usually do is compare ourselves against some imagined ideal or some Hollywood star or somebody that we could never measure up to. And it's painful. So the Buddha said, take a look at how your mind is just creating this story. The Buddha talks about it as the mind creating this magic show. That's one of the words that he uses. It's just a magic show that you're creating this reality and making sense out of it in your particular way that might be very different from the person right next to you. I was listening to a talk. My friend, uh, Carol Wilson, was uh, giving an example. She was over at a, another friend's house and she said, oh, she was cold. Could you give me that green blanket on the, on the couch? And her friend looked and said, what green blanket? That one. And her friend said, oh, you mean the blue blanket? No, it's green blanket. No, it's a blue blanket. We are all taking in the world in our own unique way. Generally, there's agreement, but if you're colorblind on that one, you know, you can be living in a very different world. But to see through this and see, oh, my mind is just taking in reality, making sense of it, and then um, particularly on this element, comparing ourselves how we're doing with, with others. And to see through it, to see that it is just consciousness creating this reality that we believe to be true. And I want to read to you uh, one of my favorite passages uh, from uh, a wonderful book, Anam Tupton's book, The Magic of Awareness. It's a great book. And this is a good way of seeing through this confusion. He says, you are consciousness and so am I. Consciousness is said to be groundless because it has no size or color, shape or location. Some people think that consciousness 
is living in us. However, such a view is very limited in scope since, and this is a Tibetan way of thinking, consciousness, this consciousness is all pervading. We live in it. We are it. We are consciousness. And it enjoys eternal play. It's just consciousness playing with itself. Now and then, consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation and gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. Okay, I'll just read that one more time. So we are consciousness manifest in this form. Now and then consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation. It's just created reality. And it gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. That forgetfulness is the fundamental delusion that gives birth to all troubles, problems, and struggles in unending chain reactions. But since consciousness itself is not separate from enlightenment, consciousness being aware of itself can happen suddenly and break the chain created by our forgetfulness. So I hope this, I didn't lose you there. But basically, we are consciousness expressing itself in this form. And as, uh, who is it? Stan Groff has a way of saying it. We are, uh, uh, life is playing hide and seek through its, uh, with itself through us. We think we're separate, but it's just life playing with itself through these various forms. And when we get caught in our perceptions, we construct this sense of this fixed me, me, which means which leads to how am I doing? What do they think of me? I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not as good as. And when you see through this with the, with the meditation, with awareness itself, you see that you've just made up this reality. Joseph has a very, uh, Joseph Goldstein has a, a very good line. It came to him in, in, uh, in one of his retreats, he saw that he was dreaming himself into existence. He'd have a thought, oh, how am I doing now? And all of a sudden, this sense of self would be created. And I'll, I'll share with you what made me actually think about giving this talk, besides reading a, a, a lovely Ajahn Sumedho article, uh, called the problem with personality. I was uh, the other day. I was mm, just getting ready for the for my day, and I was I've been feeling a little bit lazy lately. Uh, I don't know if I'm the only one, but you know sometimes I, since you're not going out and meeting people, you know it takes a while before I get out of my bedclothes and I can come be working in my in my office and. Um, uh, and just, you can get into all kinds of habits. And 
I was thinking, you know, your practice has been slipping a little bit lately. I sit every day, but, you know, sometimes uh, I, I can sit for 15 minutes, you know, or 10 minutes. And usually I, I like to sit for 30 or 45 minutes. Um, and I was thinking, you're really, you're really getting lazy these days. And then I heard my, my son used to give me a refrain when he was in his teens. You know, you call yourself a Dharma teacher, you know, when I kind of lose it or uh, be impatient or whatever. And I, that's, that's one Dharma teachers can, can, can have go through their, their mind. Oh, you call yourself a Dharma teacher? And in a, in a few moments, I just kind of felt really like just a really lazy, phony, right? I said, oh, I need to, I need to tighten up. I need to, uh, I need to call, get in touch with Joseph. I haven't spoken to Joseph in a while. I need to renew my practice and get out of this sloppy Dharma teacher stuff, self-image. And then I remembered this teaching of um, we are what we think of um, what's called atamayata, how we, we, we concoct experience, we construct experience. And when we see through the construction, the whole thing falls away. And all of a sudden it was amazing. I said, wait a second. I don't have to believe that. I can just start sitting more diligently because I want to. And I have been sitting more diligently since, since then. Um, and the whole, the whole game just fell apart. Oh, I don't have to believe that. It's like fresh start. Like you're hitting the, the clear button on the calculator. Oh, fresh start. And I remember this, um, this one retreat a few years ago where I had this, uh, this practice that came to me. I'd find myself uh, from a fairly still uh, present place getting lost in thought. And all of a sudden, I'd notice I was lost in thought. And I'd notice, and I'd just say, oh, mental fabrication. And that became my way of just dissolving the whole thing. Oh, mental fabrication. And I did this the other day when I just said, oh yeah, I remember that mental fabrication stuff. Oh, mental fabrication, fresh start. I can be anything that I want. I don't have to be, you know, the sloppy Dharma teacher. I can start fresh. Isn't that wonderful that you can start fresh once you realize that you have that option and you can change at any moment. It's important to see that you're still creating some kind of an image. Oh, now I'm a more diligent Dharma teacher, you know, but it's, it's still an image, but it's easier to wake up from a good dream than a nightmare. As one friend once, once told me, because once you start getting contracted, you have, you get in touch with, or you, you start what's called papancha. There's another Pali word for us, papancha, which is one thought proliferates into a whole story. It mushrooms into a whole story. 
Papancha, P-A-P-A-N-C with a little tilde over it, A, Papancha. And the Buddha said, watch out for Papancha. Watch out how one thought gives rise to a whole world that you get sucked into in believing. And in one moment, you can see through it and have a tremendous, a radical transformation. That's when, when people get born again and all of a sudden they've changed their ways or um, Angulimala, the, the serial killer, I won't tell the whole story, but there was a serial killer who killed 999 people until the Buddha broke the spell and, and woke him up. And he ended up becoming enlightened, completely enlightened, an arhat. He had just been under this spell that had been put on him and creating, thinking, I am a violent person. And he was set upon some task to perform. And he became a new, a born again person. Now, we can have that, we can see through that habit and see, oh, just mental fabrication. But it doesn't mean that it stops because those habits have some, some momentum and they've, they've been going on for a while. So it's not like all of a sudden, oh, now I see it. I'll never get caught in that again. As you can tell, I was a sloppy Dharma teacher a few days ago. Um, but that's not where you have to live. And so as soon as you kind of start seeing what you're doing, you have the choice to start creating a new, a new way of seeing yourself, a new self-image, which can be a valuable, a positive thing. I remember uh, reading this um, expert on uh, recovery, Stanton Peel, and he said, if you want to break a habit, First, you have to have an accumulated disgust where you're just, you've had enough of it. And then you have a moment of truth. And then you decide you're going to change. And then you have a plan to start changing and doing it a new way. And the key in that process is you start thinking of yourself as someone who is learning a new way. So rather than being, oh, someone, I, I can never do that, or I always get lost in that, always and never, you start seeing yourself as, oh, I'm somebody that is starting to learn a new way. It's called a growth mindset. And you just keep on seeing through the creation of mind and then start giving yourself a new image. Particularly, I'm someone who is learning. I'm someone who is committed to waking up. And when you can have that kind of commitment and that kind of intention where you are just facing in the right direction, even if you can forget, you are keeping on coming back, this is where I'm heading then you start having a new way of seeing yourself. And it's important to realize that even that is just another image. And to see that it's a skillful use 
of how we're holding ourselves, but more deeper than that, you're not who you think you are. You are the divine of life expressing itself through you. And that's where you awaken to your true nature. If I can find, uh, here's, here's uh, one last quote, and then we'll do a, a little bit of an exercise and check in. This is from Yosho Kempo, another great Tibetan master. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There is no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this Buddha nature, who you truly are, and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. Stream of being. So let's just uh, do one little exercise and then uh, we'll, we'll see, open it up for any comments or questions. Just invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And first, just check in and see what your self-image is these days. And uh, I hope that whatever it is in the outward appearance, you see the goodness right inside who you really are. But then there might be ways that you mm, don't measure up, that you wish you were more, you can fill in the blank or less fill in the blank or how you compare to others, how at ease you are with others, how um, you imagine others think of you. And just with very kind awareness, notice whatever you've concocted in your mind. And just see how the mind has created that story. From whatever conditioning, from your past or something that's happened to you recently, that somehow you take to be real. And as you see through that story through this mental fabrication. Mental fabrication. What if you can let go of believing that story? Just for a few moments, imagine what it's like 
to not take that story to be real. Maybe you have habits, maybe you have things that, uh, that you, you notice about yourself, but seeing if there's another way that you can hold that or a way that you can work towards developing and holding a new perception And then see through all perceptions to see who you really are underneath it all. Your true nature. And you might just play around this week with letting go of those stories that image that you've created that doesn't serve you. You don't have to let go of the ones that serve you. Let go of the ones that don't serve you and see through all of them. That's liberation. That's seeing through that sense of self that we've created. So mm, we can take some time. Oh, while I remember it, actually, I'm going to put in my, my Donna. Um, and if you have questions or comments, um, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you. First, I'm going to put in this. Here's my my PayPal, and I, I want to um, express my appreciation, by the way, to uh, people who've been uh, so generous. I I really um, um, am grateful for it. So here's PayPal and uh, Venmo, if you feel like um, supporting the teaching. So, let's see. Any uh, any comments? Questions? Comments? Raise your. Oh, you can raise your digital hand. I don't know if you're anyone's raising there. Manual hand. Okay. Well, I see a hand up there. I'll. Oh, it's Jesse. Uh, hi. Hi. Hey, yeah, great topic. Thank you so much. Um, I really love this quote from the Dhammapada that you started with, that with our thoughts, we make the world. I, I find it initially really inspiring. I'm like, oh, great. All I need to do is meditate. No more suffering. But my question has to do with um, volitional thoughts versus non-volitional thoughts. Because I don't, I, even in the meditation tonight, I just felt like, um, hey, that's not fair. I didn't, I didn't try to think that thought and it was like a negative thought. <laughs> so 
So just in terms of making the world and with, with our thoughts, we make the world. Are there thoughts that we don't have any choice over? They just seem to appear in our mind. And like, where does that decision, I don't know. I'm just wondering where the choice comes in. And where, where do you sense that it might come in? Somewhere like, so for me noticing in, in the in meditation, like some thoughts seem to just appear and I didn't want them to be there. Then there was the papancha, like you were talking about. There, if I notice the papancha, then it seems like I have some choice. And then there's um, a third category, which is this is the part where I'm inspired by the quote. Like I'm like, oh, when I have whole, when I inspire myself to have wholesome thoughts, yeah. then I'm like, yeah, yeah. With my thoughts, I'm making the world. <laughs> so. Those are the three categories I found. Yeah, well, you um, you hit upon something right there as you were as you were explaining your process. You know, there you are sitting there, and you have thoughts that came out of nowhere, right? That's pretty much ninety nine percent of our thoughts. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because sometimes we have an intentional focused um, uh, project. But when we're, say, going for a walk and we're not focused on something, do you say, oh, I can have some, uh, some self-doubt right now? <laughs> no, just comes. Oh, I could do it with a little bit of anger. Yeah, that'll, that'll serve me. The beautiful thing about the meditation is seeing these thoughts come out of nowhere completely on their own. And if we don't mess around with them, they are so empty. As Joseph used to say, thoughts are as empty as you see them to be and as real as you believe them to be. So the, fa the fact that any thought comes up, how freeing that you don't have to blame yourself for whatever thought comes up. You can have the most, the ugliest thought in the world. And when you've seen your mind, you just say, oh, that's interesting. Where did that come from? The problem is when we then identify with those thoughts and say, oh, what a bad person I am for having those thoughts. Or how do I get rid of those thoughts? Then we're really, then that's when Papancha takes over. Or when we believe the story and then we just, we've created that whole world. But the world that we can create is when we've practiced and we're mindful and we see that those thoughts are empty. Oh, thank you for sharing. That was an interesting thought. And you don't have to get hooked by it. So with our thoughts, we make the world. There's no choice generally until we're mindful. And then we can have a different tack. Or we can be compassionate. We've, we've learned enough compassion 
And we've seen, and this is again where meditation practice comes in, we've just seen how we beat ourselves up mercilessly. It might take, you know, 30 years of beating yourself up mercilessly to see, oh, maybe there's another way. I don't have to do that. Or maybe on your first retreat, or you just, or you start seeing when you take a look at your mind, when Indraji used to say, as one of my teachers and Joseph's teacher, he says, if you want to understand the mind, just sit down and observe it. Most people do not observe their minds. And so they're caught and believe every thought coming down the pike. We have a happy, uh, a nice thought. Oh, yes, isn't life wonderful? We have a, a, an ugly thought. Oh, it's terrible. Or we start worrying ourselves. So the real choice comes in not in controlling our thoughts, but in seeing how empty they are and then choosing which thoughts we want to give energy to. That's really helpful. Thank you. And you got to keep your sense of humor when you do it, because if you don't, it's just uh, way too humbling. Yeah, yeah. But you just say, wow, look at the mind. If you can have a sense of humor, it changes everything. It's, it's another way to have that non-identification. You say, wow, look at the mind do its thing. It's very different than, you know, oh, God, look at my mind. Oh, just look at the mind. You can laugh at it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, it's Jim, but uh, is it Jim? Yeah. <laughs> Using Jim's laptop. Uh, I'm Hi. Monica. Hello. And I really appreciated you sharing uh, the the judgment that you that was coming up around what kind of Dharma teacher you were, because I recently had a similar experience, not around being a Dharma teacher, but just judging my, my sitting practice, the thought that often comes up is it's sporadic, uh, it's infrequent, and, and a lot of mental formations <laughs> around judging it. And then just a couple of days ago, I, I had a moment of just thinking, ah, stop thinking about it one way or the other. And later that evening, I saw an email come through about a half day sit on Saturday and, and I signed up and I'm so excited to take it. I, I can barely wait. Mm -hmm. And so in thinking about that, I think that somehow in the spaciousness of just letting go of trying to understand what was happening, just letting it be, I was able to connect with, just authentic, spontaneous excitement for this upcoming sit, which I, I don't know, maybe potentially had I not let go of that, it would have been another should when I, when I saw the post or the email. But instead it was, I was almost surprised after all this judging that was happening, just genuine enthusiasm that came out of nowhere. And, uh, and I'm really excited to sit on Saturday for an extended period of time. Isn't so. it amazing? Just in, in one moment, it can all change. You know, mm -hmm. where was that? Who was that person who is judging herself? Oh, wow, I can't wait to sit on Saturday. And it's it wasn't helpful. It, it just wasn't help, helpful to be 
trapped in that papancha. And, and this is the forgetting and remembering because once that happened, I remembered, oh, right, this, this sort of thing does happen, has happened, where in the space of, of not being trapped in the, the mental judging and, and trying to force better practice, Mm -hmm. Just I can reconnect with with the the genuine interest, and yeah, I'm thrilled to be for this upcoming event, and and I appreciate you sharing. So I got even more clarity mm -hmm. around how wonderful it is to just let it go. Beautiful and, and trust that the the happiness, the joy that is the practice, and I know it's there. I can really connect from for mm -hmm. it, from the heart. Mm -hmm. That's when you can you can trust that. Yeah, and one of my main uh, main uh, maxims is when the thoughts are coming through with a finger wag, don't believe them. It's just fear that's creating it, or 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 a, a small mind that's creating it. When you're there's, when there's spaciousness, then the wisdom can shine through. Then you gave yourself a little bit of space. Oh, there's a half day sit up. Oh. oh. I can be anyone. You can be anyone you want to be. Go for the best. Go for what really lets your true nature shine through. So just a final dedication. So our coming here together. May we see through our created construction of self, see through the stories that don't serve us, get in touch with the beauty and the goodness and the Buddha nature within and share it with the world. And may our coming here together be of benefit and ripple out to all beings everywhere and the planet. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.